See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that this is what we are. The reasons the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Thanks, Sarah. Good morning, beloved. It's good to see you this morning on this uh, cold fall has arrived, eh? Yes, it has. All right, I'm looking forward to some fires and marshmallows and everything. I'm Jonathan Coleman, uh, one of the, the pastors here at Anderson Hills. I want to welcome all of you who are gathered here in this space and then also those who are joining us online. We are in our third week of examining the letters that John wrote. John, the apostle, he refers to his readers as dear children. And he writes that throughout all of the letters. It's family reference. It's near and dear to his heart. He wants to make sure his readers know how beloved they are in Christ Jesus, and they are indeed God's children, and they should live that way. In that belovedness language, he sets forth expectations as well. Expectations within the family of God. Think about expectations within your family. I think about expectations within my family. Don't we want our children, our grandchildren, to have the best values and experience living in an exceptional life within those values? We have tons of expectations in the family. For example, my wife expects the house to be clean before company arrives. Now, I'm off on Friday. It's a day I practice my Sabbath for my pastoral duties. However, when we host our life group, which is twice a month, I know before that evening, that Friday evening, there's going to be a list of things for me to do on the kitchen counter. Vacuum, dust, sweep, wipe everything down. I don't mind cleaning. <laughs> I don't. I actually enjoy it, listening to music. I know what her expectations are, and so I put my best cleaning foot forward to do that. And when she comes home from her kindergarten teaching day, She's a happy wife. And you know, gentlemen, you know a happy wife is a happy life. Now, I'm not for hire. I'm sorry. I only clean for her. But think about it. As we raise our children, we have these expectations within the family. We want those values to be experienced by all. When children go against these values, we correct them, right? We want our kids, really, we try hard to make sure that they're amazing people. We want to make sure that our, our spouses and those whom we are around are amazing people as well. We want kids also who love, kids who exist for the benefit of others. Okay, so I say this every, uh, a couple times every year in my sermon, and I want to say it now. Folks, if you're capable of having kids, if you're capable of having kids, have more. 
procreate. I think awesome Christian parents giving birth and raising awesome Christian kids in this world is so, so needed. Large families of Christians. Okay, so I've said my piece there. But think about it. These expectations, they set behavior. And we will act in keeping with what we anticipate the consequences or benefits to our expectations and what they will be. So John begins chapter 3 with some very powerful statements about what God wants us to know and what he expects within our worldview. And see this, it was just read brilliantly as our sermon bumper and see what it is here and what it means for us. He said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we shall be has not yet been made known. But we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. God calls out to you, my friends. It's an amazing statement, and I believe God sings over us. I would sing over my kids, especially my daughter, Emily. I was in seminary, and I was a student pastor, and we had this parsonage, and of course, Kim was teaching in Forest Hills, and I would be with her three or four days a week, and I would sing a song over her. It was by Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, believe it or not. It wasn't an 80s song, and it was called, I Love You, Baby. I would sing, you're just too good to be true, can't take my eyes off of you, you'd be like heaven to touch, I want to hold you so much. And then the chorus, you know, it crescendos with the horns, and then I'd go, instead of baby, I would say Emmy, I'd say, I love you, Emmy, and if it's quite all right, and she would dance around like this, she would just, and I would sing over her, and she would love it. I pick her up. That's our song. She's getting married August 20th. Guess what song is going to play? I love you, baby. (laughs) Anyway. She knew she was my daughter. And I loved her. I still love her. God sings over us. And the proclamation is, you are a child of God. John says his love is lavished upon you. It's a profound, powerful, simple statement. And sometimes we just, it, it bypasses us like a stranger going through a crowd. But it shouldn't. We're children of God. And God wants us to live like that, like that. John emphatically states, did you catch that exclamation point? And that is what we are. If you believe it, it becomes a state of reality of who you are and your identity. Claim it. Claim it now, child of God. Beloved daughter, beloved son, adopted. This sung over you. You see, Jesus the Son sacrificed everything so that you can inherit that adoption into that family reality. And we're in it together, brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends. 
within the parameters of that family, yes, God has some expectations. And we have expectations of God, and we also have expectations of each other. So here are some things that you can expect from God. First, we have the expectation of experiencing God's presence daily. I don't know about you, but this is what I long for in the core of my being. And I believe the rest of this sermon is all about these expectations. God wants you to experience his presence. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a guardian, don't you want to be with those kids? It's a longing for God as well to be with you. Put this in your mind. You will be in God's presence eternally. Thy kingdom come. And it's not just when you pass away. God wants that kingdom to come in you right now. God wants this daily, living in the reality of that communion with him. And John speaks to this at the end of that scripture reading. He says, what we shall be has not been made known. But we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. And those who have this hope purify themselves just as Christ is pure. This means when we pass away or if Jesus returns, we will be like him. We become partakers like him of eternal life. Resurrected, new body, new life in him. And I believe everything will make, make sense. As it's that old, that old statement, we'll understand it better by and by. And we put that before us in our living It should change everything. Put that before you. He says those who have this hope, they purify themselves just as Christ is pure. Because believers have hope and anticipate being with Jesus for eternity, they pursue that pure life. There's nothing better than joyful obedience unto the Lord. The goal of a pure life is to be like Christ. He is pure And as believers, as we seek and believe, that purity is upon us. It's God's expectation. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus taught this. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. What? They shall see God. They shall see God. This brings us next to what John uh, writes in this third chapter. He says, everyone who who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that you might, he might take away our sin. In him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. You see, this is a stern warning. And you see expectations within the parameters of this scripture. He warns his readers not to be led astray. You see, there were false teachers that John was countering that believed that you could engage in regular sinful activity without losing fellowship with God. And John was saying, absolutely not. 
These deceivers would say, oh, it's, it's, it's fine to remain in your sin and keep on sinning. Keep on doing what is wrong in lawlessness and follow God. John would say, no way, man. It's incompatible. And it was deception. There's a Greek word that John uses. Let's peek at the Greek. It's this word, anomena, the practice of sin and the condition of lawlessness. You see, Jewish thought associated the concept of sin with anomia because it typically involved being disobedient to the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. However, John has more of a view in here. He equates the practice of sin with the condition of lawlessness, which he describes as a characteristic of one living as a child of the devil. In other words, the practice of lawlessness reveals that someone is living opposed to God's ways and practicing the deeds of evil. And this is outside the family of God living. You see, light and darkness cannot have fellowship together, and John writes that. John is basically saying, if you are living outside the family of God, and if you're outside the family of God, you are associating yourself with the enemy. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have to take sin seriously and be diligent about putting it to death by the grace of God and the help of God. So if we say one day, we believe that we'll stand before him, and yet persist living in opposition to God's character, we really prove that we don't expect to ever actually face our God or experience God's presence daily. You see, Jesus Christ came to remove us from our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we need to do everything possible to rid our lives of sin. As Paul states in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's why Anderson Hills has so many resources for you to help you live a life of holiness in the Lord. For example, we have the Break Free class, November 1st. We have inner healing prayer. If there's anything you need, please call. Please call the church. Also, there's many, uh, I have many references to amazing Christian counselors to, to help you move into the direction of God's will and God's ways. You see, God wants us to always be in a state of expectation where we'll always be ready to see God face to face. It's easy to think of the Christian life as just one of the many things that we have to check off during our daily to-do list. But our God is very real. And will one day stand before him. What impact could the knowledge of that one day you will see God have on your life? You might want to put a sticky note somewhere and, and name and claim that. I've been seeing a spiritual director for the past two months. I've never uh, had a spiritual director in my life. And it's someone who counsels you. Uh, your spiritual life to help you grow, maybe as a lay person or as a clergy person. And I've been seeking with all of my heart a double portion of God's Spirit to be upon me. I want revival in my life. And so I sought out a, a person, a brother, that is a licensed counselor, and he's also a, a spiritual director for me. And his name is uh, Richard Lehman. 
And I spoke with our lead pastor, John. I said, man, I want to start this journey. He said, go for it, brother. Go for it. And my, uh, last week, Richard gave me a teaching that I've been beginning to practice each day. It's called the Daily Examine. Today, I want to introduce you to this, uh, to this tool because I really want you to have that time of examining your conscience, but also experiencing God's presence daily. And I hope it blesses you as it is blessing me. It's a daily examination of conscience, like I said, and it's a prayer to help you see where God was active in your life during the day. And I believe it also helps guard our hearts and our minds against sin. And when you pray it every day, you'll begin to notice God's presence more easily in your day as you review it. It's wonderful to do at the end of the day, but you can also do it in the morning after your day. The first thing, A, is presence. Always remember that you're in the presence of God in a special way when you begin to pray. Ask God to be with you as a beloved child. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you insight in the now and mindful of the now. Next is gratitude. Recall two or three things that happened today for which you're especially grateful. Savor those things. Then thank God for these amazing gifts that were given to you. Review. Review your day from start to finish, noticing where you experience God's presence. Notice everything from large to small, from enjoyable interaction maybe with a friend or to feel the sun on your face where you experience that or an interaction where you felt the presence of God. And also, when did you choose to love? When did you choose to do God's will? And when were you loved by someone or felt loved by God? Next is sorrow. You may have sinned during the day or did something that you regret. Express that sorrow to God and, and ask for forgiveness. If you sinned against someone, make a plan to seek forgiveness from that person you offended. And last is grace. At the end of your exam, return to a meaningful part of your prayer and speak to God how you felt. We are a feeling people. We are a knowing people. God wants us to experience his presence and know his presence. Know it and feel it. And at the close of the prayer, ask for God's sufficient grace to cover you while you sleep or for the coming day. Over time, as you pray, pray this exam, and you'll notice God's presence in the moment rather than just at the end of the day. You'll see your whole day can be a kind of a prayer lived out and experience God's presence in action throughout your day. You see, God teaches us so much my friends, about remaining in his presence. It's an expectation he wants. And it's something that we should expect as well. And we can expect it too if we seek him for, for, uh, in all of who we are. The most powerful teaching about remaining in him is in John 15. And Jesus teaches about it in 15, 4 through 11. Let's take a look at this together. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. But this, is my, but, but this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be filled. One word that Jesus speaks gives us a huge hint about remaining. That word is abide. Jesus said, abide in me, I will abide in you. That's presence. That's holy presence. God has that expectation. We have that expectation. Abide means to remain in. I've had some stomach issues lately. I've made the grand switch from uh, drinking coffee to mostly drinking tea. I found that there are two types of tea drinkers. There are those who like to take their cup of hot water and dip the tea bag in and out. Ding, 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 ding. And then maybe they'll pop the tea bag out and put it around their spoon and squeeze the flavor into that tea. But then there are those, and this is like me, this is what I like to do, that take that tea bag and they tie it to the handle, just like this picture here, and they allow that tea bag to remain or abide in that water. What happens? It gets stronger and stronger. You know, brother and sister, that you are drinking some tea. Why? Because that tea bag abides. It remains in. We can't dink in worship once a week or dink at evening grace. We can't dink when our favorite Christian song comes on the radio. You know, we have to abide. Jesus calls us. He says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. It keeps God's presence near. And he even talks about just as a branch is drawing nourishment from the vine, the true vine, we can constantly experience his presence as we abide in him. While we'll never become sinless, we can wind up sinning less because we're in an affectionate intimate relationship with a savior and he draws us away from evil away from anonome uh whatever that word was (laughs) (laughs) we keep his commandments too he says joy remains in joyful obedience comes abiding in jesus christ is like a daily antiseptic Remaining in him through word, his word, through Bible study, through spending time with God, through prayer and witnessing and giving and serving. You can expect this to happen in this organic relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because we become like him. John continues with some more expectations living in the family of God. And notice the switch that comes He now focuses on others. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Here, John has the rubber meet the road. Our existence is to experience God daily, but also exist for the benefit of others. Existing for the benefit of others. Dr. Tony Evans says it like this, and I wish I could say it like him. In other words, let's have love we can see, not just the love we can say. Let's love with our life, not merely with our lips, with our walk. Not merely with our talk. He wants us, my friends, to demonstrate through acts of goodwill, good works, and the kindness of the love of God and the expressions of God. And it happens. It's just these expectations, all of a sudden they start to be passed along to us without even, just, we just automatically do it. We do it. My friends, one day we'll see God face to face. We'll stand before him, giving an account of how we lived our lives. Account for how we treated people. Account of how we treated ourselves. How we were stewards with the time that we were given. Our faith life is always giving to ourselves and others. Our faith is always combined with action. I don't know about you, but when it comes to life... And I think a football coach would say this. I truly want to leave it all out on the field. You know what I'm saying? I want to leave it all out on the field. When I cross the finish line, and I hope you can say this with me, giving all of yourself when you cross that finish line. When you cross that finish line, you're skidding across it. And you're all beat up from living and loving and serving. And you're yelling, what a ride, man. What a ride. And I hope you can say that with me today. You see, the best of all will stand before him face to face. And like that child whose father is, is like away on deployment, we're not sure when we'll see our heavenly father. But we do know this. We will see him. We will. And on that day, John makes that promise and he knows about that promise because he spent time with Jesus. We'll be like him, pure, holy, thoroughly loved, beloved children. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for these beautiful words of John. Thank you how these words proclaim our belovedness as your children. My prayer is for all of these who have heard this message that they would live as your beloved children. That they would abide in you, Jesus Christ. And that they would see that their lives exist for the benefit of others. We thank you, dear Lord, for the promises that we see in you and the love with which you hold us. Fill us with your spirit and go with us, we pray, in the name 
of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.